morning, take your Bibles and turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 1. We'll read the first six verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that as we look at it, that you will help us to understand it. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you sent your son to be our savior. Father, we praise you. We ask you, help us to know you more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So today, we get the great privilege of studying Romans. very excited and encouraged to be in this amazing epistle. My goal is to give big picture looks through the book, as I've mentioned, but I'm going to try to do something a little different as we go along. You have in your notes, uh, inside your bulletins, notes that you can follow along with. There's also will be, Lord willing, a block diagram of our passage every week, and you can see that. And then in the back, there will be uh, going deeper for questions for people that want to take it and go deeper. Uh, those questions will be in the back, and you can go through those anytime during the week with your children. They're observation questions basically drawn from the text, so you can kind of dig in deeper into the text for you and your family. Um, my Lord willing will post the answers to the observation questions on uh, my blog so that you can get those later in the week uh, after you've studied it a little bit more. So kind of I'm going to give the big picture. I'm going to give you opportunity to go deeper. And the hope is, is that we're going to apply the book of Romans to our life as we go through it. A shepherd is a metaphor used in the Bible to describe the nurturing and guiding of the church. Uh, one who does that. Jesus had told his apostles to shepherd his flock, to tend his lambs, to feed my sheep before he had ascended to heaven. The apostles were to imitate their good shepherd who had washed their feet and laid down his life for them. They were to lay down their lives for Jesus' flock. That was their calling. They were even called to 
talk about and preach about him, but then live him in front of them. Paul doesn't refer to himself as a shepherd in the introduction to Roman or any, Romans or anywhere in it, but as I studied this passage and read this passage and thought through this passage over and over and over, the beginning, the introduction of Romans reveals this shepherd's heart. It reveals the characteristics of a shepherd overwhelmingly in the passage, in the introduction to Romans. Paul's love and his care for the believers is obvious from the beginning of this letter. A biblical shepherd is anyone who cares for the followers of Christ. You know, all of us to a degree are shepherding someone. Parents shepherd their children. Grandparents shepherd their grandchildren. Teachers shepherd their students. Siblings shepherd their younger siblings. To shepherd a person is just another way of saying to make a disciple. We all need to be shepherded because we are all sheep, aren't we? But we also are all called to guide and nurture one another, pointing one another to Jesus and the relationship with God that he provided in Christ. The reason I picked the metaphor shepherd to describe Paul in his introduction was his love, his care, his encouragement of the believers in these opening words of the epistle. We... we he looks this part of a shepherd in his words. Interestingly, this is consistent with Paul's letters, isn't it? Uh, Paul is so nurturing and encouraging to those he writes epistles to, letters. Yes, he can be direct, can't he? Uh, but one can see genuine love coming from the Apostle Paul. It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit works through him to write these letters, and they're masterpieces, aren't they? But yet you also see the heart of the man, the Apostle Paul, who loves the people that he's writing to. Why was Paul such a wonderful shepherd to the church? I think it was because he knew the good shepherd. He, he understood the love that Jesus had for him. Paul had opposed and even persecuted Jesus' followers, right? We know that. But Jesus had intervened and delivered Paul from death and separation from God. He was straying. He was a straying sheep, but then Jesus rescued him. So this love that he experienced through on the road to Damascus caused him to then love people, to encourage them, to shepherd them. This introduction is a beautiful picture of a shepherd of God transformed by the Lord's encouraging work. So Paul here, we'll see in our introduction, is a shepherd to the people in Rome, the church in Rome. He knows 30 plus of them by name and mentions them in chapter 16. So today we're going to see the shepherd of the flock introduces his letter to the believers in Rome with two main sections. The introduction to Romans breaks down into these two main sections. You've got the shepherd's identification of himself and then the shepherd's revelation of his heart for the sheep in verses 6 through 17. Let's start with Paul's self-identification, his self-identification. Here we'll see Paul identifies his ministry, he identifies his message, and he identifies his mission. In, verses, in verse 5. Notice first, 
Paul identifies his ministry. In verse 1, look at it. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Remember, this was the name given to Paul when he was converted, right? We all know that. Let's see if it'll stop. Here we go. One more time. It is not working. I'll let it sit for a second. Maybe that'll help. Here we go. Remember, this was the name given to Paul at his conversion. He, when he was born again, the Lord renamed him. He took a totally new identity because of Christ. Yet notice Paul's preferred title was a bondservant of Christ. Literally, this is a doulos a, of Christ Jesus, a, a slave of Christ. Paul didn't call himself a holy one. He didn't call himself a saint. He didn't call himself a child of God in this introduction. He calls himself a slave of Christ. This was his ministry. He was a slave of Christ. He did what the master wanted him to do. Slave is the title only born-again believers would take with joy, right? Only born-again believers in Christ would say, I'm a slave of Christ. And we'd say it with a smile. This is our primary ministry, isn't it? We are slaves of Christ. We do what Jesus desires us to do. He is our master, and we have been bought by his blood, and so we are his slaves. And this we rejoice in. Seeking to do anything else is foolishness to us. We want to do his will, don't we? As John Calvin stated, we are not our own, therefore neither our reason nor our will should predominate in our deliberations and actions. We are not our own, therefore let us not propose it as our end to seek what we may be expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own, therefore let us as far as possible forget ourselves and all things that are ours. On the contrary... We are God's. We're God's possession. To him, therefore, let us live and die. We are God's possession. Therefore, let his wisdom and his will preside in our actions. We are God's possession. Towards him, therefore, as our only legitimate end, let every part of our lives be directed by him. That is our ministry. That is our identity, we are slaves of Christ. A shepherd may shepherd others, but he considers himself a Lord of, a slave of the Lord Jesus. This is a key to being a gentle shepherd, by the way. A gentle shepherd views himself as a servant, even as he guides and nurtures. You're going to see this throughout this introduction. Humility is a key characteristic of a biblical shepherd. Second, notice Paul divine calling was an apostle of Christ. Called as an apostle, the Lord had specifically appointed Paul to this position. It was God's effectual call to apostleship. The sent one by the Lord Jesus. This calling was a grace calling. Paul was not worthy of this calling. God had effectually called Paul from his wretched state of rejecting the Lord Jesus. 
Paul recognized even his position of authority was God's divine work in him, not his worthiness of the position. Shepherds recognize any authority they have is from God and not because of self-value. We're humbled by that in our shepherding of others. Next, the specific ministry Paul was set apart for was set apart for the gospel of God. Notice, this was the ministry Paul was set apart for by the Lord Jesus. Again, this was an act of God, not a superhuman self-achievement. I did it. I set myself apart. No, it's God did it. God set him apart for this ministry. So how do you identify yourselves? How do we identify ourselves? No, we're not apostles, but our ministry is similar, isn't it? We are slaves. We're called by God to make disciples. We too are set apart for the gospel of God. That's us. That's all of us. So first Paul started with his ministry identification. Second we see the shepherd identifies his message, his message in verses 2 to 4. Paul's message was the gospel of God. It says, in which, that is, by the way, the gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the message, isn't it? Right at the beginning, what does, Jesus, what does Paul make much of? He makes much of the gospel. He makes much of Christ. From the very beginning, it's like, don't look at me, even though I'm the writer of the letter, it's really all about Jesus. The gospel was promised hundreds, even thousands of years before. The gospel was promised beforehand by the Old Testament prophets like Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and others. It was written down in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is all about or concerning his son, the triune God, the son of God, the member of the Trinity. The son of God was, however, born a descendant of David. Now, how many of you in your gospel presentation says, Jesus the son of David. Very few of us even think to say something like that in our gospel presentation. But it was the truth. He was a descendant of David. Thus, he was physically in the line of David, King David, as Samuel had prophesied. Yet also the son of God was designated or declared to be the all-powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead. How do we know that Jesus is not just another man, a religious man? Well, he rose from the dead. And the power of the resurrection verifies that he's not just a man. He is a man, descendant of David, but he's also the God-man, the incarnate God-man, the son of man that was designated or shown to be the son of God. The son of God is all-powerful. He's the powerful, the omnipotent one. 
The Holy Spirit has declared that the Son of God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is the powerful Son of God. This is who Jesus is. It's revealed through the Word of God. The gospel is this. Jesus is the Son of David and the Son of God. Jesus died and he rose from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of Israel. The gospel is Jesus Christ is our Lord. Notice the good news is ultimately all about Jesus, the Son of God, Christ our Lord. This is the primary message of every follower of God and every shepherd of God and everybody that is making disciples. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is your primary message? What, is, what are you known for? Better, who are we known for? Somebody asked, what do you want on your gravestone? I can think of nothing better than slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul identified his ministry and his message. Next, he identifies his mission. Look at verse 5. Paul identifies his mission. Through whom, that is, through, through whom, that is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. Oop, did it again. I'm going to have to work on that. That is something different. Look at this. Paul's mission was to what? Fulfill what God had given him through the work of Jesus. Through Jesus Christ. Paul received unmerited favor and apostleship. He was given this grace and office to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. The ministry, the message, the mission of Paul is similar to us, beloved. Take note of this. No, we're not apostles, but we are slaves of Christ, aren't we? We were all set apart for the gospel of God, too. Do you understand that God saved you? And set you apart for the proclamation of the gospel to the world. You too are set apart for that. We all have the same message, don't we? It's Jesus Christ our Lord. We proclaim him and we proclaim Jesus to bring about the obedience that comes from faith to him by his followers. We're all about what? Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. And our goal is, is that everyone would believe in Him and therefore then obey Him. Our mission is exactly the same. So as the Apostle Paul speaks these words in the introduction, he encourages everybody that's reading it to step up and enjoy the ministry together. That's what we do. This is our mission, to make disciples. We proclaim the glories of Christ so that the people will believe in Him and respond in obedience to Him. We proclaim Jesus so our friends, our children, our spouses, our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers will believe in Christ and then obey Him. That's what we are about, aren't we? 
We do all of this, like Paul, for the name of Jesus, for the sake of his name, for the glory of his name. We want Christ to be made much of, don't we? A true disciple maker has one main goal, one main goal, to make much of Christ and to see others make much of Christ. And all for his name. It's for him. We're no longer our own. We're all about him. Again, we're God's possession. As we obey Jesus in this world, we say to the world, Jesus is worthy of obedience. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our first love. Come with me. Follow Jesus. Come be a slave of the master with me. Paul starts with this identification of himself. He identifies his ministry, his message, and his mission. However, notice something. He actually ends up making very little of himself and a whole bunch about Jesus. That's a shepherd. A shepherd does everything he can to get out of the way. To be eclipsed by the sun. It was common for the author of a letter in the first century Rome to start with a self-identification. But it was not normal to make much of someone else in that introduction. However, followers of God who knew the saving grace of the gospel, could not help but exalt Jesus and not themselves, even when they were supposed to be introducing themselves. This is amazing. This is the way it really is. Now today, we aren't inspired with new revelation. But in a similar way, we who follow Jesus today make much of Jesus as the Spirit works in us. You know, I, I was talking to Stephen about this. I, I marvel that the Spirit never includes himself in the writings. Very little. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the introductions, it's grace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit's working behind the scenes in Paul, right? Why is it that the Spirit doesn't say grace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and me, the Holy Spirit? That's working in the Apostle Paul. Well, because that's what the Spirit does. He makes much of Christ. Just as the followers of Christ make much of Christ. And the Father. And the Spirit. And we're not afraid to say the Spirit's the one that's working within us. Because we know that's the truth, right? Beloved. Let's make much of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. What is our primary mission in life? What are the main things that we're all trying to accomplish? We're trying to make obedient followers of Jesus also, aren't we? For the name of Christ. So first, the shepherd, Paul, identifies himself. Next we see Paul reveals his heart for the sheep, the fold in Rome. Look at it. Second, the shepherd's revelation of his heart in verse 6 to 17. 
We'll see here the, the shepherd encouraged the sheep, the shepherd prayed for the sheep, and the shepherd was committed to the sheep. First notice, the shepherd encouraged the sheep. Verse 6, among you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. One of the areas that we could all improve upon is believing God is at work in his own. And then encouraging one another with their identity in Christ. Do y'all hear me? I hope you heard that. That is so important. That is something I need to work on. By grace, I will. When we look at this, you see Paul acknowledges something. God is working in them. And then affirms it. And affirms their identity in Christ. We then need to encourage one another with our identity in Christ. Even with some of the most rebellious churches, think about this. The Apostle Paul in the letters and the introductions that he's talking to the Corinthians. Remember both times after what he had gone through. In Galatians, knowing exactly what they were dealing with and how some of them had embraced the Judaizers' thought process. What's he do? He encourages them. He reminds them of their identity. He acknowledges and understands they are Christ's. And he affirms their identity in Christ. Here in Romans is no different. He identifies them as the called of Jesus Christ. Beloved, you are the called of Jesus Christ. The sovereign grace of God has called you to him, you are Jesus' own. You are his possession. He understands, Paul understands and acknowledges that they are the beloved of God. Oh, I cannot tell you this enough. I should tell you this all the time. You are, everybody in this room that knows Christ, you are the beloved of God. God loves you. God loves you. I confess, beloved. I confess. Sometimes my reactionary heart to some of the prosperity gospel has made, robbed me of saying what needs to be said to you. And it's this. You ready? You are loved of God. You in this room who love his word, you're loved of God. He loves you. You are the called of God. You're the holy ones. I said it to a few of you as you walked by today and you looked at me like I was nuts. Hi, Saint. How are you? It's good to see you, Saint. Good to see you, holy ones. Paul says it. To many he had not even met yet. Beloved of God, holy ones, you're the holy ones. You're the saints. You're loved of God. I wish I could take every single one of you and grab you by the shoulders and look you in the eyes and tell you, God loves you. You're a saint. 
Not because of your value. Not because you did something. But because of his grace. Oh, Grace Bible Church. You are called of God. Called of Jesus Christ. Loved by God. And saints. It's important to note. Paul calls the believers beloved and saints, but he identifies himself as a slave of Christ, set apart for the gospel. So, contrary to Stephen Furtick, don't go out of here saying, I'm a saint. Making much of who you are, other than what Christ has done. See, you don't take that message when I say, beloved of God. Holy ones, you don't go, yes, I am. Look at me. I'm something. You say, oh, I am by the grace of God. Yes, Master, Lord Jesus, whatever you say, I will do. See, grace produces humility. Full understanding of your identity in Christ causes you to obey by faith. Richard Baxter said it this way. Every time we look upon a con- our congregation, let us believingly remember that they are the purchased of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded accordingly by us. What's the point? We can learn something from this. When you're shepherding something, someone, you should see them for who they are in Christ. Blood-bought believers. Those who love and know him. My church family, you are beloved of God. God loves you. I know this because he died for you. You are holy ones by his grace. You are saints by his grace. And you are dear brothers and sisters to me. You and I are headed to glory because of what Jesus did for us. Today, today if you get nothing from this message, get this. I love you. I love you all dearly and Christ loves you even more so shepherds encourage the sheep next we see Paul the shepherd prayed for the sheep he prayed for the sheep verse 7 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Do you see the shepherd's heart? Is it not obvious? 
He prays for them. First, you see that he prayed for their greatest need. What is the believer's greatest needs? Grace. (laughs) We need grace. (laughs) We need God's unmerited favor, don't we? We need God to work in us, not because we're worthy of it, not because we deserve it, but because he's a good and gracious God and we need it. We need his unmerited favor. I can't obey without his grace. I can't love Jesus without his grace. We need his peace. A disciple maker prays for the greatest needs for the sheep. We all need grace. We constantly need it. And we need peace. This is either to be made right with God, but I don't think so, because they are already right with God through faith in Christ. So they were already reconciled, so why would they need more peace? Well, I know I'm maybe going out on a limb, but I think this is an inter-rest inside them with inside of us. I don't know about you, but I need this in the world that's in chaos. I need this rest. I need this inter, inner peace that helps me to know that God is in control and I can trust them. And no matter how big the chaos is around me, I need peace. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I need peace from Him. A rest in the providential care of the Savior. Aren't these our greatest needs? This is my greatest need. I know it's your greatest need. Do you need grace, beloved? Do you need peace? So Paul prays, the shepherd prays, that grace and peace be to them from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice next the encouraging words, the prayer that Paul prays, thanked God. That Paul thanked God for his work within them, within the sheep. Notice verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. (laughs) What is this? This is the heart of a shepherd. A shepherd thanks God for the sheep. A pastor thanks God for one another. Here we see Paul has expressed his gratitude to God for their faith spreading throughout the whole world. Others were hearing that the Romans were committed to Christ, that they believed in Christ Jesus. It, It was spreading. And this reason was the reason, or this this. This work was the reason for thanks from Paul. Paul could have just thanked God, couldn't he? Now think about this for a second. Paul could have just thanked God and said, Hey, God, thank you for what you're doing in the believers in Rome. Oh, I'm so thankful for what you're doing for the believers in Thessalonica. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in the Corinthians. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in these churches. But he goes one step further. He tells them that he's thanked God for them. Hmm. 
Interesting. This would be encouraging, wasn't it? How many of you, how many of us have, have thanked God for somebody lately and then went up to him afterwards and said, I just thank God for you? Why would we do that? To shepherd them, to encourage them. That's shepherding. That's loving people, making disciples of people, thanking God for people, and then telling them that you thank God for them. Profound, isn't it? Again, do we see this kind of shepherding always? No. Do we see it in Paul? Yes. I want to be more like this. How about you? In order for us to do this, I must trust that God is working in others. I need to trust that God is working in you more. And you need to trust that God is working in your children more. You need to trust that God is working in your brothers and sisters more. And we need to be more observant of what God is doing in other people. And then we need to thank God for what he's doing. Beloved, do you know it could start right now? Right now. In your heart, you're sitting there. Don't walk out of the building. Don't go on to the next point. Is there somebody you're thankful for in this room? Are you thankful to God for what he's doing in them? Thank him now. I know eyes open. But thank the Lord for them now. Let's don't go on. Let's do it. Who's somebody? Thank God for him or her. And then after service, go tell them you thank God for them. This is shepherding. This is disciple-making. Paul petitioned God to be with them next. Notice in verse 9. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mission of you. Always in my prayers making requests. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Do you see his heart? Folks, this is what others-focused people look like. Paul doesn't appear to be or to get all peopled out. I'm done. I need to have a break. I don't need people anymore. It appears that he's always positioning for them unceasingly, making requests always, constantly praying for them continuously. He's always others-focused, always. This is shepherding at a level, oh God, give me grace to do this. We talk about 
pastoral burnout. What is that? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's times when I can get self-absorbed and need a break to what? Sin. Be me focused. That's harsh, Mike. I'm talking about me. Don't worry. If if she doesn't fit for you, you're okay. I got a message from the deaf. One of the deaf said, I hear you're moving to North Carolina. (laughs) Really? No. Don't go anywhere. Well, I know it's hard on you. Might want to give up. No. You're going to have to kick me out. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm here. I was offered something, a position to go do something else. No! I love Grace Bible. I'm here for you. I love you. I pray for you. I care for you. Because Christ cares for me. And he loved me. And he will never leave me. I don't have to worry about succeeding in coming to you. I'm here. And I'm thankful. I'm staying. Even if all of you leave. I'm staying. Now, if I stop being coherent. Stephen, that's your job. (laughs) Tell me. I'm done. But I'll still be here. The shepherd was committed to the sheep. You see it, right? You see it. The shepherd was committed to the sheep. Look at it. Look at it. For I long to see you. I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Paul's commitment was seen in his deep desire to minister to the believers. He wanted to impart some spiritual gifts, gift singular to you, y'all. I think the spiritual gift in, in mind here wasn't the spiritual gifts that we talk about in other parts of the Bible. You know why? Because you get those when at conversion. The believers had already had those, but this is more a general sense of a spiritual gift to the body and as a whole. And probably, I think it's expounding on the glorious gospel. I think this is all developed all the way through the rest, all the way down through verse 17 and really the rest of the book. The spiritual gift is to know Christ more, to know the gospel more. Because that is the very thing that what? Establishes them. That is the thing that it strengthens them. In fact, 
It's what happens as we speak the gospel to one another in each other's lives. We're strengthened. Those are the spiritual gifts we give to you. I have a gift. I've, and here's the gift. It's not that I'm empowered to do something. I have this gift, and the gift is Christ. It's the gospel. It's the word of God, and it's the thing that I want to impart to you too. I want to give you it because it will establish you just as it established the early church in Rome. And strengthen them. Faith in Christ brings encouragement to fellow believers, right? As we believe in Him, it encourages. And that was the next thing He says, what? To encourage them, right? To encourage them. Look at it. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. What is this? Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. This is the encouragement. Again, I can't tell you how refreshing the, the week was. I had a great week. If you can't tell, I had an amazing week. One of those weeks that you're like, wow, God, thank you. Your prayers were answered. I appreciate it. I went to a shepherd's conference, a, a conference for pastors, and it was so encouraging. And I had opportunity to visit the church that I started ministry in 1998, 23 years ago. It was so encouraging to see the faith in Christ of the believers there. One of the youth at the time that I was there, he was 17 when I was there, and he said, I just celebrated my 40th birthday, and I went, boom, mind blown. He taught on John chapter 10, and it was excellent. So good. I saw his faith in Christ. His love for the word. His love for Jesus. And I, and I hadn't even had Greek exegesis when I taught him that. Hmm. Taught him the gospel. And he thrived on the gospel for years and years and years. I met him afterwards, and we both hugged each other, and we just sat there and wept. Just encouraged by one another's faith in Christ. It was, it was amazing. That's what I have with you. Oh, I love it when you, you want the word, and you, and you keep going, and you persevere. I wish I could name your names. You just don't know. I'm just looking out and I'm like so overwhelmed with joy and encouragement over your love for Christ and your perseverance in Him. This is exactly what Paul was talking about. That we encourage one another in our faith in Christ. In Christ. Dear friends, this is what shepherding others is all about. Encouraging them in their faith in Christ. Being encouraged by one another. Imparting to them the spiritual gifts God has given us and ultimately the gospel. Second notice, Paul desired to be with them to receive fruit among them. Look at it. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to you to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. The heart of the shepherd is committed to pursuing the beloved of God and to receive fruit. I got to admit to you, I, I do want to see fruit. <laughs> All of us want to see fruit in those that we shepherd and disciple, don't we? We, we desire that. So what is this fruit? I believe it's an abiding and thriving relationship with God. It is the fruit of the Spirit, yes. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It is faithfulness and perseverance in the Lord in the midst of trials and difficulties. It's actually a gospel-proclaiming life. Faith being spread throughout the whole world. <laughs> and seeing you go and proclaim Jesus. You know, one of the greatest joys in a shepherd's life, more than anything else, is this. You ready? For someone to say, I just talked to so-and-so about Christ. Pray for this person. That's the fruit. Seeing the spread of the gospel. Making much of Christ in your life. This is what Paul was saying. He wanted to be with them so he could see more fruit of them sharing the gospel with others, living for Christ, living the gospel. Paul was committed to this. And third, it says Paul considered himself indebted to the sheep. He says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is strange for our society. I admit it. We are only indebted to banks and credit card companies. But here, Paul says his commitment to the people is actually an indebtedness to them. I'm in debt to you. How is Paul in debt to anybody, much less these people groups? I believe it was a debt he owed because of what Jesus had done for him. Jesus had loved him and saved him and freed him from the debt of sin and death. And so, therefore, he placed himself in debt to the other people. He said, I'm yours. I'm no longer mine. I'm yours. I no longer live for myself. I live for Christ and those whom he has purchased. In return, Paul was committed and committed himself to others. I'm in debt to everyone in this room. Do you understand that? I am. I'm in debt to you. Not because you did something to me or for me, but because Christ did something for me. My life is now not my own anymore. Your life is no longer yours anymore. And you now are indebted to everybody else in the room. Do you understand? We're all debtors. We all now live for... Others, not ourselves anymore, right? We're obligated to others, not ourselves. We're obligated to the lost to see them come to Christ. The foolish, even the barbarians. We're indebted to the believers, the wise. Why? 
because Christ bought them and bought us, and so we're no longer our own. We live for who? Here's a wild thought. Who do you live for? (laughs) I live for you. I'm no longer... I'm no longer my own. I'm obligated to you, Brady. You, Dale. You, Bob. You, Carol. You, Bob. I'm not mine anymore. And you aren't you, yours anymore. Can you imagine what a church would look like if everybody thought like this? But I got my agenda. No, there's none of that ever. It's always, I have Christ's agenda. And you're good in mind. So how does this look? Looks like this. We close. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's primary way of serving He was indebted to everybody. And his primary message was the gospel. It was all about sharing Christ, preaching the gospel. He was eager to serve, ready, willing, enthusiastic to serve the gospel to the believers in Rome. He loved them. He was committed to them. He knew they would be encouraged, strengthened, established upon hearing the gospel again. So you say, well, Pastor Mike, you've, you've almost made it. You almost made it. You almost made it to verse 16 and 17. Why? Why was Paul so eager? Why did he long... Desire greatly to preach the gospel to the wise and the foolish in Rome. Why? He gives the answer. It's really not a confusing answer. It's right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And to also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. What is that? Beloved, that's just a summary of what he's going to tell them over the rest of the book. That's a summary of Romans right there. That the gospel is something that he's not ashamed of. Would the gospel be something that we could be ashamed of? Well, only if you think of the gospel through the way of the world. Because the way of the world says you follow a man who died on a cross. You follow a man. You exalt a man who rose from the dead. Right! You no longer exalt yourself. You are all about being a slave of Jesus? Yeah. And we're not ashamed. Why? 
Why are we not ashamed? And why would he want to preach the gospel? Real simple, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes in Christ. Right? It's the thing that saves us. It, it justifies us. It sanctifies us. And it promises glorification. That's the salvation. It's found in Christ. And as I believe in him and as I trust in him, I am declared right, I am sanctified, and I will go to glory. Romans chapter 8. Why? Because he determined before the foundation of the world that you are my child. Election. 9 to 11. This is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Praise God. Us Gentiles are included. And in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's shown off. It's shown off in justification. It's shown off in sanctification. It's shown off in glorification. It's shown off in election. It's shown off in the application of the gospel to our lives. God's righteousness is on display. From faith, when we begin and believe, we're justified. To faith, all the way to the end, like glory to glory. When we go to glory, believing in him, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Because it's written in the Bible, and it's always been this way, the just will live by faith. Praise the Lord. God is good. Let's study Romans together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have done in us all that you are doing in us, and all that you will do for us. We are now not our own. We've been bought with a price. Father, you are our Abba, Father. Jesus, you are our Lord and Master. Spirit, you are our comforter and convictor and encourager. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for what you have done through the gospel in us who believe. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said,